0: Good morning, New Day. For those of you online, I apologize you missed this, but Spider Man just brought my pulpit out on stage, okay? So I need you to know what just happened. And uh, to the rest of you who saw this, know we haven't lost our minds. We will return to Spider Man momentarily. Before we do, let me say a big welcome and thank you to everyone here joining us for the continuation of our current teaching series called Christ the King, where we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. Our text today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And what we see in these verses that we're studying today is the king's teaching on salt and light. Now, when I think about salt and light, and particularly this teaching of Jesus on salt and light, I can't help but think of my American citizenship My American citizenship is comprised of two parts. Uh, The first part is my rights and my privileges, and then the second part are my responsibilities. For example, in terms of rights, as Americans, we have the right to freedom of speech, the right to a fair trial, the right to free and unperturbed media, the right to vote freely in elections, and the right to worship as we see fit, as we just spent about 15 minutes doing there during the song portion of the service. But American citizenship is not just about our rights. It's just as much about our responsibilities. If you're a U.S. citizen, you're required to obey the law, pay your taxes, serve on a jury when summoned which I just was. And if you're a male, age 18 to 25, you're required to register uh, for the selective service for draft purposes, so that we have enough men to fight in the armed forces in the event of war uh, or a a national emergency. So so you see, citizenship is just as much about our responsibilities as it is about our rights. And I bring this up because this is exactly how it is In the kingdom of heaven that the Apostle Matthew has been teaching us about in his gospel. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus to save you from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, you are saved and you are a citizen in the eternal kingdom of Christ. And your citizenship is made up of two primary parts. Your rights and your privileges over here, but then over here, your responsibilities. It's a a two-sided coin. It's not just about our blessedness like we talked about last week in verses 1 to 12. In case you missed it, last week we learned about all the benefits and privileges and blessings that come to those who are saved. And that was great that Jesus taught on it because having rights and privileges and blessings, that is a part of being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. But it's not only about all our privileges and all of our rights and all of our blessings. Just as much a part of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is is our responsibilities. And last week in verses 1 to 12, Jesus taught about our blessings. And now this week in verses 13 to 16, he talks about our responsibilities. Maybe it'll help you to think of Spider-Man who you've probably seen walking around the building today, who you will see out in the foyer after service, in case you want to take a picture with him, like a bunch of people did uh, after first service, and who you saw, if you're here in person, bringing my pulpit out on stage. But think of Spider-Man. Special privileges and abilities came to Spider-Man when he was bit by a spider. But what did his Uncle Ben remind Peter of? He said, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. In other words, Peter, you weren't blessed with these abilities just so you could bask in the knowledge that you have them. No, you were blessed with these abilities so that you could use them to serve others. You have a responsibility in light of these blessings to be of service and to be of benefit to other people. And I can't think of a better summary of what Jesus is teaching us in our text today. You're blessed with all the blessings that come with being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, but you weren't blessed just so you could bask in the knowledge of your blessings. You were blessed so that you could serve others, namely as salt and light. This is our great responsibility as citizens in God's kingdom. Let me read you our text so that you can not just take my word for it, but so that you can see this for yourself. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And now he says, in essence, likewise, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All right, now you got the big picture. Let's dive in a little deeper. We'll break down each part. If you're taking notes today, pull them out, grab your pen. Here's your first fill in the blank. The first thing we see in our text is what we're going to call the problem. And here it is. The problem is that the world is morally corrupt and spiritually dark. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, it sent mankind careening down a moral Spiral, a downward moral spiral. And we see several examples of this uh, throughout Scripture. I could give you many, I'll give you just a couple, but here's the first one. We read in Genesis how the offspring of Adam and Eve became so morally corrupt and spiritually dark that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And friends, evil in God's eyes, it's kind of like us filling up uh, the tank of our vehicle with gasoline. You can fill it up, and it goes up, and it goes up, and it goes up. But at a certain point, its limit is reached. And every time the limit of our evil is reached, God responds in judgment. And that's just what happened. The world became so corrupt, so morally corrupt and spiritually dark that God responded in judgment. And he sent a great flood that destroyed every single person on the face of the earth save Noah and seven of his family members. Now, God intended that Noah and his family would rebuild a more righteous world. And at first, no doubt, it was more righteous than the world God had destroyed. But we read that only several generations in, mankind once again plummeted in another downward moral spiral. An example of which can be seen in the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that we read about in Genesis chapter 18. The citizens of those two cities became so morally corrupt and were so spiritually dark that the limit of their evil uh, came to, a, to its peak, and it, and it was filled up to the point that, once again, God responded in judgment, and God just rained down fire from heaven to destroy the wickedness of those people. Now, you would think after God's judgment of the flood, and after God's judgment of fire raining down from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that since those times, mankind would walk morally Uh, uh, walk a morally straight path. But we find the exact opposite to be true. What we see back in the book of Genesis is the reality that you and I live with today. We also are careening down a, a downward moral spiral as a human race. We go from evil to greater evil. We go from sin to more sin it's getting worse. It's not getting better. And the Bible teaches, I know this is a little depressing today. Thanks for coming to church. But uh, the Bible teaches that we are in a moral downward spiral that will not end, that cannot be stopped, and that ultimately will result in God's fiery judgment on the earth once again, just like at Sodom and Gomorrah. Now of this judgment, the apostle Peter said this, he said, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. Peter says that at the time of this judgment, the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. We talk of being enlightened as a human race, but that's really misleading. Because though we've increased in knowledge, we've only used our increased knowledge to increase our sin. All the technological advances that we've made, we just use those advances uh, to enjoy sin in new dimensions. And so, yeah, we've increased in knowledge, but we have used that knowledge to increase our sinfulness, and so we are just careening down that path of a, of a, a moral downward spiral. And again, it will not stop until one day it all culminates in God's fiery judgment. And friends, this is the problem. The world is morally corrupt and spiritually dark. But before you get overly depressed today... And walk out of service or tune out online. I not need to wake up on a Sunday to hear how bad things were. That's what I hear on the news all throughout the week. Before you get too overwhelmed and depressed, let me point out the second thing we see in our text, which is this. Jesus has a plan The second thing we see in our text is that uh, in response to the morally corrupt world we live in, in response to the spiritual darkness that characterizes our world, Jesus has come up with a plan. And Jesus' plan is for his disciples to serve him as salt and light on this earth. We need to be salt because the world is morally corrupt and we need to be light because the world is spiritually dark. So let me unpackage these two concepts of us as followers of Jesus being salt and light. We begin with salt. Jesus says in the first part of verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Now, whether we realize it or not, salt is one of the uh, basic essentials for human life. As one person put it, the world cannot endure Without salt. So when we're talking about salt, we're dealing with a a very precious commodity. The Romans of Jesus' time held that except for the sun, nothing was more valuable than salt. And Roman soldiers were actually often paid in salt, from which we get the expression, oh, that guy, he's not worth his salt. Salt was an incredibly valuable commodity in Jesus' day because in the time of Christ, refrigeration had not yet been invented. And so how did you lengthen the shelf life of your meat, which was hard to come by and very expensive? Well, friends, you preserved it in in salt. Back in 2017, uh, I read uh, Stephen Ambrose's Undaunted Courage, and I read how the men exploring uh, the United States of America uh, ate meat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, how did they preserve that elk meat or that deer meat or that bear meat uh, that they they, uh, got as they were traveling along? Friends, they preserved it with salt. So understand this, when Jesus was talking about salt, his original audience would have understood salt to represent something very valuable. They would have understood salt as an indispensable commodity without which, uh, you know, you couldn't do life. It, It just represented that which was extremely important in the world. So now do you get it, friends? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you have an extremely important function to play on this earth. And what is that function? Well, it's simple. As salt prevented meat decay, Jesus is saying, so you as my followers are here on this earth to prevent moral decay. The moral decay of society. As I said earlier, we're in a downward moral spiral that cannot be stopped, which will one day culminate in God's fiery judgment on this earth. Nevertheless, Jesus wants us to work as his followers as salt to put off that judgment for as long as possible. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, we read that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. No, he's giving people time to repent because the Lord wants all to be saved. And he wants all to come to repentance. So again, just like your gas tank will eventually be filled up, so the wickedness of the earth will be filled up to the point that God's going to respond in fiery judgment. And that cannot be stopped. It will happen because the word of the Lord says it's going to happen. But it's our job to delay the time in which that fiery judgment of God is rained down on the earth. And we delay it by being salt, by preventing the moral rot and decay of society. And so we understand what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. But Jesus didn't just say you are the salt of the earth. What does it say next in our text? He says you're not just the salt of the earth, you're also the light of the world. Again, whereas salt is needed because the world's corrupt, light is needed because the world is dark. Now, electricity is actually a relatively new invention, right? Did you know that even up to 1925, only half of the homes here in the United States had electricity? And so, uh, until more recent human history, uh, people had to use lamps to light their homes. And this is still the case in many third world countries. When it gets dark out at night or you wake up early in the morning and it's still dark in your home, you light a lamp so that you can see Well, here's the deal. The lost of this world are groping around in spiritual darkness, desperately trying to find the keyhole to peace and to happiness and to satisfaction and fulfillment and meaning and purpose, but they can't find these things because they're in darkness. And it's our job to be the light that shows them the way to Jesus through whom they can find everything that they're looking for. Jesus said this in John chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. But friends, now he has left us to go ahead and be the light to the world in his place. Now that Jesus has left the world, his light comes to the world through those whom he has enlightened And that's those of us who are followers of Jesus. So we need to be light to this world. Now, the sad reality is, even though that we are the salt of the world, and even though we are the light of the world, the possibility exists that you as a follower of Jesus might not be doing your job. And that leads us to the third thing we see in our text. First, we saw the problem. Secondly, we saw the plan. And now thirdly, we see the possibility. And the possibility is that you can be good for nothing salt and good for nothing light. Sounds pretty harsh, right? Yeah, I kind of cringe a little bit in saying that because it's, it's, just, it's just harsh. But friends, it's not my job as your pastor to soften Uh, the blow that Jesus might deal us in a certain text. It's my job as pastor just to faithfully communicate to you whatever is there in Scripture. And Jesus here, it's unmistakable what he's saying. You can be good for nothing salt, and you can be good for nothing light. Take a look. First, Jesus says of the salt, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we've already covered the primary use of salt in Jesus's day. It was to prevent meat decay. But here we see a secondary purpose of salt. And that, of course, was to flavor food. But Jesus says, let's pretend it was possible for salt to lose its saltiness. And you sprinkle it on your food. And then you taste your food, and it's just as bland as it was prior to you adding the salt. Jesus says, what good is such salt? And what he's saying is such salt is good for nothing. It's good for nothing. And Jesus is making this point. We can be good for nothing salt. If we're not here in this earth preventing the moral decay of society, then what good are we? We are good for nothing salt. And that's the last thing that he wants. But it's possible that this is the case. And that's what Jesus is highlighting here. You are the salt of the earth. But the question is, are you useful salt or useless salt? Likewise, after saying, you are the salt of the earth, Jesus next says this. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Take a look at verse 15. Jesus says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a bowl. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Uh, Maybe this would help us to a more modern-day illustration would help us to better understand. We don't use lamps because we're here in America, and since 1925, most of us have had electricity. So imagine, though, that it was dark in your house because your power went out. You had no electricity. It's pitch black. It's in the middle of the night. And you go ahead and you grab a flashlight, and then you turn it on. Well, with the light shining out of the flashlight, that's very helpful, right? You can see where you're going. You don't trip over your kids' Legos on the floor, which stab you in the bottom of your feet, and it's it's super helpful. But let's pretend you took a a bath towel from the bathroom off the shelf and you just wrapped the towel tightly around the end of the flashlight and then you walked around your house during the blackout with that. What are you going to do? You're going to step on your kids' Tyrannosaurus Rex. You're going to step on the Legos. You're going to trip over something the kids left in the hallway. You know, you're walking down the stairs and your kids leave the shoes on the stairs and you trip and you die. You know, it's like (laughs) sometimes I think my children are trying to kill me. What good is light that doesn't shine? That's what Jesus is saying. What good is it to light a lamp and then put a bowl over the top? What good is it to have a flashlight and then wrap it in a towel? If a light doesn't shine, it's a good-for-nothing light. Salt that isn't salty is good-for-nothing salt. Light that doesn't shine is good-for-nothing light. And Jesus here, again, is pointing out the possibility that though we are the salt of the earth, though we are the light of the world, we, it's possible that we can be good for nothing salt and good for nothing light. And this, of course, is not what God wants. All right, here's the fourth and final thing we see in our text before we get to the application of the sermon. The fourth thing we see in our text is the purpose. What's the purpose of being salt and light. Why is it so important that we aren't good for nothing salt and that we aren't good for nothing light? Well, it's because of the purpose. The purpose of being salt and light is so lost people can come into a right relationship with God. And we see that clearly here in verse 16. Jesus says in verse 16, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds with this result that they would praise. Your Father in heaven. So here's a picture of someone who's drawn to the Christian faith by the influence of your salt and your light, who repents of their sin, makes their peace with God, becomes a citizen within the kingdom of heaven that comes with all the blessings of citizenship that we talked about last week, who is so overwhelmed with all these blessings that they just begin praising our Father. In heaven. So do you see it? What's the purpose of salt and light? The purpose of salt and light is so that lost people can come into right relationship with God. It's so important that we be useful salt and useful light because when we are the lost come into right relationship with God and then join us in giving him praise for the blessings of salvation. So friends, now you understand Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. And that's wonderful that you do. Because if you don't understand the text, you'll never understand how to properly apply it to your life. But now that you understand the text, let's shift our attention to go ahead and focus in on how we ought to appropriately respond to what we've learned because God doesn't just give us our, uh, the, the biblical text so that we can go oh that's interesting he gives us the text so that we can begin living in accordance with it and so I want to spend the rest of our time together showing you practically speaking how we can do that and to help you do this I'm just going to give you three simple application questions today uh, here's the first of the three number one how can I serve Jesus as Saul? well number one You can do so by living a holy life. Now, friends, do not divorce verses 13 to 16, which is our text today, from verses 1 to 12, which was our text last week. Don't divorce the two because they're inseparably connected. We can be salt by living a holy life. That's what Jesus taught us last week. Let me give you a refresher. Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And what we learned last week was that this refers to external holiness. But we're not just to be holy on the outside, we're also to be holy on the inside. And that's what Jesus was teaching last week in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, when he said this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But when you bring these two verses together, you see that what Jesus is calling from us is a holy life. Where we're holy on the outside and holy on the inside. And this is so important because when we live holy lives ones that conform to God's will as revealed in his word we show the world God's standard for morality. We influence the world with God's standards. All too often in our society, it's culture that influences us to downgrade our morals. But what Jesus is saying is if you want to be salt, go ahead and live out a holy lifestyle in front of the unbelieving world and they will be influenced to bring their morals up instead of them influencing you to bring your morals down. When we live holy lives, it's one way that we can serve Jesus as salt on this earth. It's our holy lives that retard the moral corruption of society. But not only can we serve Jesus as salt by living a holy life, secondly, we can be salt by taking a stand for what's right. Several weeks ago, I reminded you how Tracy Jarvis, our pastor of community outreach and missions, went to the town hall meeting of Enfield because in one of the public schools right here in Enfield, the teachers went and gave out an assignment that asked eighth graders to list their sexual preferences in bed. And in response to that, Tracy went on behalf of our church to take a stand for what's right. And that's exactly what she did. And praise God, she wasn't the only one doing that. But she was one of them, and it made news all over the country, actually. But here's the deal. Guess what assignment will not be given out anytime soon in all of the schools in Enfield? That assignment. Why? Because someone took a stand for what's right. Friends, this this world will steamroll our morality if we let them. But if we take a stand for what's right... People wise up and they begin acting right. I remember being at a football game years ago and some lady was just dropping every swear word in the book left and right. And I mean, it was a packed stadium and there was kids everywhere. And I took all I, you know, remember Popeye? I I took all I could stand until I could stand no more. And then he just like, you know, explodes. and, And I was just, I took all I could take until I couldn't take no more. And I just said, excuse me, there are children here. And I just spoke up. Well, guess who didn't cuss for the rest of the game? I mean, she cussed at me after I said it, but then the cussing stopped. <laughs> she would have just continued on the rest of the time, but someone took a stand and it brought an end. Friends, that's a part of being salt. Now, we want to be grace-filled and graceful and, and godly and Christ-like uh, in the way in which we take a stand, but we need to take a stand. It's one of the ways we can, practically speaking, serve Jesus as salt on this earth. It's how we can be useful salt instead of good-for-nothing salt. Number three, third and finally, we can be salt by getting involved. If your kids attend public school, get involved in that school. Prior to deciding uh, to homeschool our children, we sent Allie to public school. And when we did that, I was a part of the Parent Teachers Association. I don't remember what it was technically called, but I was a part of it. And I would regularly meet with the principal with other concerned parents. And by being a part of that, I had the opportunity to be salt in those meetings. A lot of things are being introduced to our children uh, nowadays. It's indoctrination. Public schools seem to be a system by which our children are indoctrinated with Satan's values, morals, and worldview. But guess what? It doesn't have to be that way. Get involved. Take a stand. Speak up. Be a part. And be salt. We've seen all over the country how people are trying to bulldoze this onto our kids and parents, Christian and not alike, they're just standing up and going, nope, not going to happen. And guess what? It's not happening. Certain things are not happening because people are getting involved. Well, that's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to be salt. I think voting your values is another great way of getting involved. You say, I would love to be a part of the parent-teacher thing. I just, I I can't. It's just impossible for me to do. Well, hey, guess what? You still get to vote for the people on the school board. So get involved. Take your vote. Same thing goes for when you're electing your mayor, your governor, your president. Uh, Vote your values. And I get it. Sometimes you're just voting for the lesser of two evils. I get it. But you've got to look at your Christian values. You've got to look at what the Word of God calls for in leadership, and you've got to make your decision of which candidate best aligns with uh, the standard of God's Word. You have got to do your best. It's a way to be salt and light in this world. So there's pre- three practical uh, examples of how you can serve Jesus as salt. Here's application question number two: How can I serve Jesus as light? And I've got two suggestions for you. First, you can do so uh, by doing good deeds. Jesus says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Once again, we're brought back to the teaching we covered last week, the Beatitudes. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And last week we learned that the merciful person is the one who helps the afflicted and rescues the helpless. And when we go around ministering on Christ's behalf to those in need, whatever the need might be, we end up having the result of softening their heart and making them more open to the gospel. Christian charities right now, like Samaritan's Purse and Convoy of Hope, uh, they're having amazing gospel influence in Ukraine right now. Why? Because they're going there and they're ministering to the hurting people and they're meeting their needs, practically speaking, and they're doing it just because that's what honors God. But the practical result is this, people's hearts are becoming open to the gospel, And they give them food to eat, and then they also give them a gospel so that their spiritual needs can also be met. Well, friends, we can do a microcosm of that right here. We don't have to be in Ukraine to do that. We can just go into the office, go into our neighborhood, enter into family gatherings and all these different kinds of things. And we can just meet people's needs on Christ's behalf, knowing that we're the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we do this, people become open to learning about the light that can show them the way to be saved. So number one, you you can be God's light by doing good deeds. It's what opens them up to hearing more the way by which they might be saved. And this leads to the second thing we can do to serve Jesus as light. We can serve Jesus as light, secondly, by sharing the gospel. Guys, there's this quote that's attributed to Francis of Assisi, even though he never said the quote. It sounds like a great quote, but before you clap after I say it, know this. It's not a good quote. It's a terrible quote. Maybe you've heard it. It says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And that sounds awesome, but here's the problem with it. No one in the history of the world has ever been saved just by watching the life of a Christian. People can only be saved by hearing the gospel. It's our lifestyle that makes them uh, thirsty for having a relationship with the God that we have a relationship with. But friends, it's only the gospel that can save someone. Look at what the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 17. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, the word of Christ is the word about Christ. The word of Christ is the gospel. It's the good news that if you repent of your sins, you can be saved and have right standing with God and become a citizen in the eternal kingdom of Christ that God has appointed Jesus to rule over forever. So it's great to preach the Christian gospel by the way you live, but know this that's not enough. That opens people up, that softens their heart, that paves the way for a gospel presentation but without the gospel presentation no one has been and no one ever will be saved you got to have the gospel and it's our job to proclaim that very thing it's part of what it means to be light in this world light shows the way and it's our job to preach Jesus who is the way he's the way the truth and the life and no one gets to the father except through him John chapter 14 verse 6 So we see that being light is a two-sided coin. Do good deeds to open them up to the gospel and then share the gospel that they'll be more open to because of your good deeds. But you need both. And without both, it's not the full gospel and people can't be saved. Here's our third and final application question. How can I escape the coming judgment? And here's the answer. I think it's your last fill in the blank. By appropriately responding to the reality of our sin. When people are confronted with the reality of their sin, they respond in one of two two ways. Uh, Some respond humbly, and some respond defensively. The defensive person goes, Whoa, 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 don't talk to me about my sin because it sounds like you're saying that God requires me to repent of it and turn away from it and give it up and to begin living holy. And I have no interest in that. Don't you dare address my sin. I'm happy with where I'm at. Uh, I like the way I'm at. I'm comfortable with where I'm at. Don't you dare mess with my sin. This is what's going on in John chapter 3 verses 19 to 20. Jesus said this, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. So sometimes you go sharing the gospel and and you're talking about sin and the need to repent of it. And someone goes, get God's light out of my face. I don't want my sin to be exposed because I don't want to let go of it. But friends, this is the wrong response because responding this way leaves us eternally damned in our sins. So you can respond defensively to the to being confronted with your sin, but the correct response is to respond humbly. The humble person says, "God, I admit that I'm a sinner," and that, and that that's a that's a shot to our pride to admit that we're sinners. And it takes humility to respond correctly because we have to confess to God, like we talked about last week, our spiritual poverty. We have to confess to God that we have nothing of value with which to purchase our salvation. And so what we're saying to God in humility is, God, I don't have the ability. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it in my own power. I need Jesus. And that takes humility. A lot of people just want to be in charge and be independent and do it myself and make my own way. And that person is the enemy of the, of the cross of Christ. We have to humbly come before God and confess our, our need for him. And that takes humility. But friends, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so we got to approach God with humility because friends, God's fiery judgment, it is coming. We're living in an evil world and we are filling up the measure of evil. And like our gas tanks, you can only fill it up so high and then it's full. And friends, when, we, when our evil is just completely pregnant, it'll give birth to the judgment of God. But we can escape that judgment. And we escape by appropriately responding to the reality of our sinfulness. And my invitation to you today, whether you're online, here in person, is real simple. It's this. If you would like to respond appropriately to the reality of your sin, and if you would like to escape the coming judgment that the Bible says, it's on its way. It's on its way. If you want to respond appropriately, I want to invite you to join me in our closing prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head and close their eyes, and let's just go to God in prayer. And maybe in your heart you'd say something along these lines. Just say, Heavenly Father, I've heard today of the coming judgment and that is certainly a judgment that I would like to escape. So God, today I cast aside my pride and I come before you humbly admitting that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, there's many things you've enabled me to do all on my own. But providing for my own salvation is not one of those things. And so, God, I humbly confess my absolute dependence upon Jesus to forgive me of my sins. God, I ask today that you would grant to me eternal life through my faith and trust in Christ to deal with the problem of sin and death that my sin has resulted in. God, grant to me eternal life. Make me a citizen of the kingdom that you've appointed Christ to rule over forever, I pray. And God, now that I'm a citizen of your eternal kingdom, and now that I have all the blessings that come with salvation, namely the happiness that comes to those who are saved, God, help me to never forget about my responsibilities. I'm a citizen of your kingdom and it comes with many privileges, but God, I understand from the text we studied today that it also comes with some responsibilities, namely the responsibility to serve you as salt and light on this earth. And God, I don't want to be good for nothing salt. I don't want to be good for nothing light. So God, help me to put into practice what I've learned today that I might be useful to you and useful to your purposes and that ultimately I might help the lost come into right relationship with you even as I myself have done today. God, I pray for your help and I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving, or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram, and don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.